We are so glad that you have chosen to stream this audio, and we hope it will encourage you in your faith and your walk towards Christ's likeness. As a side note, we pray that this audio sermon is just supplemental in your relationship with Christ and in no way replaces the church you are plugged into or the pastor that God has put in your life to shepherd and care for your soul. And so with that said, please enjoy this sermon. We have prayed that God would use it in your life. Well, where do you go for help in life? When you're down, who do you turn to? When you're anxious, what do you do? When it seems like your marriage or your friendship or your relationships are are falling apart, where do you run for hope? You see, when, when life gets hard, we run to someone or something, and sometimes to ourselves. Because we have to ask this question in life, whenever life is hard, whenever we struggle with sin and suffering, we have to ask this question, where does salvation come from? Where is hope to be found? And as we walk through the book of Jonah, what we're going to see today in chapter 2 is we see Jonah pray a prayer in the midst of his despair, in the midst of his depression, in the midst of his anger and bitterness, that where God has him in life, we're going to see a man who, in the midst of all of that, looks up to the Lord and realizes that salvation belongs and comes from him alone. This is what Jonah chapter 2 is all about. And so whenever we think about coming to a passage like this, we ask ourselves questions about where we run for salvation, where we run for hope. Maybe you run to a close friend or a relative for their wisdom and advice. Maybe you run to food for comfort from pain in life. Maybe for you, 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 you clean or, or you work out incessantly and you, and you count all the calories just so you can remain some semblance of, of control in a life that has been chaotic and hard. Maybe you run to various means of self-harm or an addiction to distract yourself from the pain that you feel. Maybe you're like me and, and you'd rather just kind of check out and watch Netflix for hours or Hulu or whatever your streaming service is. Maybe you get on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, and and you just kind of start scrolling through, looking for, well, you're not not even really sure what you're looking for. But as you do, you're just hoping that something will make you laugh. Something will, will make you smile. But oftentimes what happens is we begin scrolling through social media, and we begin to realize that everybody's life seems to be going perfectly, and then we look more at our lives and how they don't seem to be that way, and we go further and further into our despair. And it feels like the waves are just crushing over us and rolling over us and we're sinking. And so we ask, where does salvation come from? Well, what we're going to see in Jonah chapter 2 is that salvation belongs to the Lord. It comes from him Alone, And so Jonah chapter 2 is where we're going to be today. We're going to start in verse, one, verse 17 of chapter 1 and then go through the rest of chapter 2 today. But just in case you didn't hear last week as we walked through the, most of Jonah chapter 1, here's what we looked at last week. We looked at how Jonah is about this angry, depressed prophet who doesn't like where God has him in life and has started to run from God. He literally goes as far away from God's will as he thinks he can possibly get. 
It says he goes down to Joppa and then down into the depths of the boat. And and what we talked about is how oftentimes to go up in Scripture was to go towards God's presence, and to go down was to go away from God's presence. And Jonah chapter 1 talks about how Jonah three times just wanted to flee from the presence of God. And so he gets on this boat, he pairs this fare to go with these sailors to Tarshish, which is the end of the known world in the opposite direction of where God had called him to go in preaching to the Ninevites. And so Jonah hates where God has him in life. Jonah hates what God has asked him to do, and he runs as far as he can. And we talked about how you and I, we, we tend to spend a lot of our time running from God and his will in our own lives as well. And, and, and rather than running to this one who created us, who knows what is best for us, who knows what we need, and who has called us to walk with him in the midst of a difficult life, the only one who can provide us hope in such a life. So we saw that, that Jonah and, and we as well run from God, and then we also looked at how we tend to not understand the impact that our sin has on our own lives and on those around us. And so just like Jonah did, when he sinned against God, when he ran from God, he was in the midst of a boat asleep when he was about to die. And then those around him were about to inherit his same fate because his sin was not only affecting his fate, but theirs as well. And similarly, in our own lives, when we sin against God, when we run from God, a lot of times it doesn't just impact us, though it does impact our lives in a significant way, and it puts us in eternal danger. It also affects those around us. And so we talked about how we tend to go deeper into our addictions, our anxieties, our sorrows, deeper into our struggles with sin and temptation, and how these, those things don't just affect us, but they affect those around us. They affect our loved ones. They affect our friends, our coworkers. They tend to affect the things that are happening around us as well. And those people around us are often left to pick up the pieces of what we have done in running from God. And so just like Jonah's sin affected not only his own life, but the lives of those around him, so does ours. And finally, we looked last week at how a proper response to God involves three things. It involves prayer, it involves obedience, and it involves worship. So in, in the midst of our despair, in the midst of our trials in life, in the midst of our anger and hurt, we have to come to realize that we have no hope in running from God. We cannot escape his presence. Even if we think we can, we can't. And that our only hope actually comes from, from not trying to row ourselves out of our circumstances and, and, and muster our own strength to get through it, but to turn to the God who's actually capable of rescuing and delivering us from it. And so our only hope is to see, like Jonah does in Jonah chapter 2, that salvation belongs to the Lord. So three things today that we'll see in this passage one, we'll see that God is sovereign over life and death. And then we'll look at how God hears our prayers even in the midst of our distress. And finally, we'll conclude by looking at how salvation belongs to God alone. So Jonah chapter 1, verse 17, here's what we read as we see that God is sovereign over life and death. Here's what is written for us in the book of Jonah. 
It says, and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. So the sailors have just thrown Jonah overboard as, as they've seen that nothing they're doing is working to make the storm stop or to get out of its grips. They throw Jonah overboard, and it says the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. There's some very significant things that we have to see here just in this first verse in Jonah chapter 1 at the very end. First, look at how it says, the Lord appointed a great fish. So first of all, we don't know what the fish was. So a lot of us, we tend to think maybe it was a whale because whales are gigantic. And so we think maybe it was a whale. But the passage doesn't actually tell us. It just says it was a great fish. And, and it doesn't really matter what kind of fish it was or if it was what, a certain kind of whale. None of that really matters. The point is, is that God, the creator, appoints something in his creation to bring about the redemption and salvation of someone who has run from him. And so it says, the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And I think it's important for us to realize that whenever Jonah is going overboard, what we'll see is that as he's sinking into the sea and as this fish swallows him up, he's not thinking, oh, yes, I'm saved. He's thinking, I'm in real trouble. But see, what we often find in this life is that when we think we're in real trouble, the God who is sovereign over the creation he's made has been in control the entire time. The Lord appointed this great fish to swallow up Jonah. We see God's ultimate sovereignty over his creation here because he's the creator. He can command creation to do what he wills it to do, and it responds. We saw last week how he, he slung a storm at the boat as though it was almost like skipping a rock for God. It, it really wasn't that hard for him because he's so powerful. He's made everything and has complete control and sovereignty over it all. And we use that word, word sovereign a lot of times when we talk about scripture and God and theology. And, and what sovereign means is it's, it kind of conveys the idea of a king, and so in, in our context, in a, in a democracy, we, we, we tend to not really understand this idea of sovereignty. We don't really get this idea that there's someone who can say something and it happens just according to their word. But that's the kind of authority that God has. He has the authority of a king over his creation because he is the one who has made all of it. And so he can simply speak, and it happens. That's what we see in Genesis chapter 1, as God makes the heavens and the earth. He speaks it into being, and he forms it with his words. And then in Jonah chapters 1 and 2, he speaks to creation, and it responds to his will. Because God is the sovereign creator. And, and if God has this kind of power over creation, if he has this kind of authority and he has this kind of power and authority over and in our lives as well. The God who appointed a fish to swallow up Jonah to bring about his rescue and deliverance in a way that Jonah probably didn't understand at the time has the same kind of power and authority in your life to bring about your redemption and your rescue. He has the same kind of power over our circumstances, even when it doesn't seem like that. Even when everything in life is telling you that it's only darkness right now. God is in control. 
even when you can't see how you could possibly be rescued, how you could be lifted up out of your despair, God is in control. This God who, who appointed a great fish to swallow and rescue Jonah, his prophet, his servant. This God who appointed a great fish for Jonah, he appointed a great savior for you. Because look at what we read there in verse 17. It says, this great fish swallowed up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. What does that make you think of? It ought to point us forward, shouldn't it? It ought to point us to the New Testament where where Jesus was in the grave for three days. And then he was resurrected on the third day. You see, in Matthew chapter 12, here's what we read as Jesus talks about Jonah and then about himself. Here's what we read, starting in verse 38 of Matthew 12. Here's what it says. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man, Jesus uses that term to describe himself, be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. Spoiler alert. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. You see, we tend to get caught up when we read the book of Jonah. We tend to get caught up in thinking about how could this happen? You see, we start to try and explain it away. We try to, we try to say, well, well, human beings have survived in some really incredible circumstances. So we think about people who have gotten lost and survived for days without food and water. And maybe even we think about stories we hear of, of men getting swallowed by great fish or whales and actually surviving the experience. And we try to explain how it might be possible. Can I just tell you, that's not the point of what Jonah wants us to see here. What Jonah wants us to see is not a natural explanation of how his rescue happened. He wants us to understand that the sovereign creator of everything that is miraculously delivered him from his sin and despair. You see, the point here is that this is miraculous. This is supernatural. You see, we come to the Bible and and we want it to make sense. We want it to make sense according to our vision of the world. We want it to make sense according to how we understand things. We want to be able to fit it into our neat little boxes. And we want to be able to explain everything scientifically. But the God who made everything stands outside of it and is still present in it. And if he made it, then he can do what he wants with it. And it it doesn't help us in any way to come to the Bible and try and explain away all the miracles we see there. It doesn't help us to, when we look at the life and ministry of Jesus Christ, to come and say, well, you know, when, when he rubbed some, some, some mud on that guy's eye, it was actually kind of like a, there were some minerals in the mud that kind of, you know, aided in the healing process. That's not what we're meant to see. We're meant to see a God of miracles, 
A God who can deliver us supernaturally because he stands as the one who is super or over the natural. He is the one who can rescue us when everything seems dark and we don't see a way out. He is the God who rescued Jonah in a completely miraculous fashion. And this miracle of Jonah is not even the biggest one. Jesus said it was meant to point to something greater. That something greater than Jonah is here in his presence. That when Jesus shows up on the scene, when Jesus lives the life that we could not live, when Jesus dies the death that we should have died on a Roman cross and bleeds out for us and then is dead as a doornail and cannot get up except that he picks his life up on the third day. He beats death itself. This is the miracle. This is where our deliverance is found. This is where our redemption is found. This is where salvation is found. And this is what Jonah is meant to point us to. You see, because three days and three nights in the belly of a whale or a great fish, it's not the point. It's meant to point you to the point. It's meant to point us to Jesus, the hope of humanity, the one in which we can find salvation like Jonah did. You see, the Lord appoints a great fish for Jonah, but he appoints his son for us. And he is a God who does miracles. Second, we see that God hears our prayers in our distress. Look at what Jonah prays as he's been thrown overboard and as he's sinking and as the fish swallows him up. Listen to the things that Jonah says. It says, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, And you heard my voice. I want you to see something here. Jonah is is praying out of the midst of great distress and trouble. He thinks he has no hope. He's sinking. And as we're going to see here in just a minute, he literally hits rock bottom. You see, Jonah, he calls out to the Lord out of the midst of his distress. He calls out from the belly of Sheol, which was the land of the dead. And so Jonah thinks his only fate is death. He thinks that's where he's headed. He thinks he has no other hope in life but to call out to God. The God who he is separated from, who he's been running from, who he has no right to say, God, hear me, but he calls out to him anyways. You see, we, we keep reading, and we see that Jonah, he says, For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. So Jonah says, I, I, I'm driven away from God's presence. I, I, I've run from God, and, and I'm separated from his presence. And, and then he says this. As he believes he's headed for death, as he believes he has no hope, he says, yet again, I will look upon your holy temple. 
And he says, yeah, even in the midst of this, I will look to you. And, and w- once again, one day, I will see you, my God. And he goes on and he says, the waters, they, they closed in over me to take my life and the deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. So Jonah's saying, he's sinking to the very bottom where, where the bottom of the mountains are that no one can see. He's headed there. He says, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. I've seen that translated elsewhere as, as, as though Jonah is heading down to the netherworld where he will be imprisoned and he has no hope of escape. You see, Jonah, as he looks at his circumstance, he realizes that running from God has left him in a place where he has no hope of escaping. He, he says, the bar is closed upon me forever. He knows that he's a prisoner of his rebellion from God. He knows that he's headed for death. He knows that he has no hope. He calls out to God in the midst of this kind of despair. He says in verse 7, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you. This is where we pray in life is when everything around us seems dark, when everything seems glim and bleak. When when we get to this place in life where we actually believe there's no hope, that there's nothing in us that we can do to get ourselves out of the mess we've created, that there's nothing we can do to rescue ourselves, when we realize we are in need of saving, that's when genuine, real prayer happens. When we turn to God out of the midst of our despair, out of the midst of of saying, I have no hope in life apart from you. When like Jonah, we look around and, and we see that we have run from God and we see that we're in a desperate situation when we literally, like Jonah does, hit rock bottom. Have you ever hit rock bottom? Have you come to that place in life where you realize God is your only hope? You've got nothing left in the tank. You've got nothing in you that can get you out of the mess that is your life. Have you hit rock bottom? You see, we pray when we realize we're desperate and we can't pay the bills again this month, that it's not going to happen we realize how dependent we are when we're in that hospital waiting room waiting and pleading with God to heal our loved one and thinking there's, uh, that it's not going to happen. But if God doesn't intervene, we won't make it. Tim Keller puts it this way. He says, it is only when you reach the very bottom, when everything falls apart, when all your schemes and resources are broken and exhausted, that you are finally open to learning how to completely depend on God. As it is often said, you never realize that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. And then he points to Jesus' own words as he speaks to his disciples, and he says, you must lose your life to find it. You see, sometimes God brings us to the end of ourselves. And, and, And this isn't... This isn't judgment and wrath. This is incredible mercy and love. 
when God shows us that we don't have it in ourselves, that we don't have what it takes, that we're in desperate need of him. When God leads us through a time like that in life, it is not God's judgment and wrath on us. It is his mercy and love pursuing us, trying to get us to turn back to him, to see that he is the one that we need, that he is the only one from which comes salvation, rescue, redemption, true and lasting joy and hope. And it takes Jonah headed for death to begin to realize this. This is, this is exactly what I, what I found to be true in my own life as well. And, and I know for some of you it's the same way. This is how God brought you to himself. As he brought you into a time in life where, where, where like I did, I, I, I thought that I had, had it all figured out. I thought life was going pretty good and, and I didn't really need anything. And then everything that I trusted and hoped in fell out from underneath me. I realized I didn't have anything together. That the ways that I had sinned against God and run from him were leading to my destruction and my despair, and I was stuck. John Bunyan in the, in the Pilgrim's Progress, he, he talks about, he, he lays out this vision of what it's like to be in the midst of despair. There's this scene in the book, if you've not read it, you've you got to get a copy of it and read it at least once. The old English is a little bit hard, but, you know, even get an updated version, whatever you want, just, you got to see what he's written here. Because there's this scene where Christian, and I believe it was hopeful, are in prison. The bars are surrounding them. They, the gate is shut. And the giant despair is the one who's holding them captive. And in the midst of their despair, they, they wallow in it for a while. And, and, and they're in sorrow and deep sadness and, and in great need. And then there's this moment where they realize that even in the midst of despair, God has actually provided for them what they need for their deliverance. And one of them gets up and he heads to the bars. He heads to the gate and realizing that God has already provided what he needed for rescue, he pushes it open and he walks out. You see, and I, I wonder if God has brought you to a place in life where, where you're sitting in that cell of despair and need and, and, and you need God to show you that he's provided in Jesus Christ what you need to walk out. You see, this is what Jonah came to realize as he sinks to the bottom, as the whale, the whale or the great fish swallows him up, he realizes he's in a place of despair and headed towards death and that God is his only hope for walking out. God is his only hope of salvation. You see, when we hit rock bottom, we realize that God is the only one who can save us. And we turn to him in desperate, genuine prayer. Prayer, it, it, prayer it, it acknowledges God's sovereignty over our circumstances. So look at what Jonah says in verses, three and, in verses 3 and 4 here. He says, For you cast me into the deep, talking about God, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. 
Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, and yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. You see, Jonah's not confused. He, he's not thinking that, it's, that, that nothing he's done has led to where he's at in life. He's not thinking that running from God was a good plan and that you know, God was actually just punishing him and that's why he's sinking to the bottom of the ocean. He knows that the choices he's made have led him to where he is, but here's what he also knows, is that ultimately God was reigning and ruling over it the whole time. He says, he, he says about God, you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. And about the waves and the billows, he says, they're, they're yours, God. God, you've brought me here. And it's this, this kind of paradox where, where in Scripture it just it lays out the fact that we as human beings are responsible for our actions and we act of our own volition. And yet God is completely sovereign and in control of all of it all the while. And so that even though your actions and your sin and your rebellion against God, your running from his mercy and grace may have led you to a place in life where the waves and the billows are crashing over you and you are sinking. God is still sovereign there in the midst of those circumstances. He's still sovereign in the moment when we are caught up in addiction and we continually run to the bottle or the drugs or whatever it might be for you. He's still there when our relationships fall apart because of the sin that happens when two sinners get together and, and we fight with one another. God is still in control in the midst of a life where it feels crushing and dark. Jonah has such a view of God's sovereignty in this moment that he realizes that God is completely in control of his circumstances and that, in fact, God has led him where he is so that he might turn to him, trust in him, and hope in him alone. You see, our actions and God's sovereignty, they're, they're not contrary things. They go hand in hand. And when we pray, we recognize this fact that God is in control. That's why we pray, right? We don't pray because we, we think that we've got it figured out. We, we don't pray because we think we've got the power in us. We, we pray because we recognize that God is the only one who's in control, the only one who has power to do anything about it. You see, prayer, it comes from this place of desperation, and it comes from this place of hope as well, knowing and recognizing that this God can actually do something about what we're walking through, about what we're struggling with, what we're tempted towards, that God is actually able to rescue us. And, and the beautiful part about it all is that God hears these prayers that come to him in the midst of desperation. Even though we've spent all our time running from him, rebelling against him, God still hears us. He hears you whether you are at the bottom of the ocean like Jonah or whether you are at the bottom of a sinking pit of despair and depression. God hears you whether you are struggling with deep sexual sin and temptation or the constant nagging and assaulting that is anxiety and fear. 
God hears you, whether you are addicted to drugs and alcohol or gambling or your marriage is a wreck. God hears our prayers when we turn to him in repentant, humble faith. When we realize that he is able to save, and that's what we see in verses 7 through 10, is that salvation belongs to the Lord alone. Jonah says, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you, into your holy temple, and those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. And so Jonah, he comes to this ultimate realization at the end that salvation belongs to God alone. It comes from him alone. That's what, jo- that's what Jonah is saying. That's what the Bible is saying when it says salvation belongs to the Lord. It means that it comes from God alone. He's our only hope. I think there's, there, there's seven quick things that I want you to see just in these few verses that Jonah realizes in the midst of his despair and seven things that, that we must do in the midst of our own. First, Jonah, he says, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. So in in the midst of despair, what we must do is we must actively remember God. We must meditate on who God is and what God has done, is doing, and will do, what he's promised. We must meditate on who God is. We must remember God in the midst of our despair. And it takes an active training of our thoughts to look to him in the midst of hopelessness. Jonah remembers the Lord, and then he he prays to the Lord. So we, we must pray to the God who hears us in the midst of our despair. Jonah's prayer, coming to the Lord in his temple, means it came into his presence, and, and God heard it. God hears Jonah, even though Jonah has been running from him. Even though Jonah is sinking to the bottom of the sea, God from his throne hears his prayer. So no matter where you're at in life, no matter what you're walking through, no matter how dark it may seem, no matter how tight the grips of despair and hopelessness are upon you right now, God hears your prayers whether you're sinking to the bottom of the ocean or you're stuck in depression and despair or you're struggling with temptation and sin of various kinds, God hears the prayer of those who turn to him in humble, repentant faith. So we must turn to the God who hears us and pray. Then we must realize who we can trust in to provide real and actual hope. Look at what Jonah says in verse 8. He talks about, he says, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Here's what Jonah's getting at. What it means to pay regard to something is to acknowledge it as trustworthy, to trust in it, to hope in it, to worship it, to value it. And so Jonah says, Jonah's looking around and probably at the Ninevites and and he sees them worshiping all these false gods and he says, those who pay regard to vain idols, he's talking about gods that cannot do anything, that cannot save. He says they're vain, they're futile, they're powerless. 
You see, and, and, and what he realizes also is that we must not be those who trust in vain idols. We must be those who turn to the God who can actually save, who can actually provide hope. You see, but oftentimes we, we place our trust in other things. And, and what Jonah says about that is when we trust in the bottle, when we trust in food for comfort, when we trust in our own control over our lives, when we trust in anyone or anything else but God, including ourselves, we place our hope in a vain idol, a false God that cannot save, that cannot deliver from despair and sin and suffering. Jonah says we actually, when we do this, when we place our hope in all these things in life, when we place our hope in anything but God in life, we actually abandon or forsake real hope. He says those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love, of God's faithful love, of his grace towards them. When we hope in other things and trust in other things outside of God alone, we forsake genuine real hope in the midst of a life in which we need it. So we, we must learn where we can turn for real hope. We must also thank God actively and repeatedly. Look at what Jonah says. This is not insignificant. When we find ourselves in the midst of despair, what Jonah says next is vital for us. He says, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. Jonah, so, so he talks about worship here. He talks about turning to God in repentant faith. And the first thing he talks about is doing so with thanksgiving. Did you know that thanksgiving is actually one of the most powerful tools that God has given you to combat despair in your life? You see, oftentimes we're in the midst of situations that train us to think about what's happening around us and the resources that we have in us. And then what we realize is that we don't have the adequate resources to deal with the brokenness in us and around us. But what Thanksgiving does is it trains us to think not about ourselves, but about the God who has provided for us. The same God who appointed a great fish to rescue Jonah appointed his son to rescue us. And it trains us to look to this God who has provided for us, who has delivered us, who has provided salvation and actual hope. And so one of the things that I often ask people to do whenever we're in the counseling room and we're talking about things like anxiety that's crippling or despair and depression that they're trudging through one step at a time or maybe anger and bitterness that has just kind of consumed them, is I have them, I have them do a Thanksgiving journal. And so what I, what I have them do is I, I say, whenever you start to feel anxiety assaulting you, Whenever you start to experience the depths of depression and sorrow, whenever you start to walk through bitterness and anger, whenever you start to feel these things happening in your own heart, take a moment and pause. Get out a piece of paper and write down everything that you can possibly think of to thank God for. Because what it does in that moment is it trains our hearts to stop thinking about our circumstances and start thinking about our God. You see, because it's almost impossible for us to be thinking about God's 
resources and what he's provided and what we can be thankful to him for and to think about us at the same time. It's almost impossible to think about our circumstances and how crippling or devastating they are and to also be thinking about all the riches of mercy and grace that God has provided in Christ. And so you might be looking or you might be writing out, God, thank you for your mercy. God, thank you for your grace. God, thank you for sending Jesus to save me from sin and to identify with me in my suffering. Or you might be even looking around you and saying, God, I'm at work right now and I'm, I'm, I'm struggling, but God, thank you for a job. Thank you for providing what I need. Thank you for my family, even though things are, are hard right now and things are broken. Thank you for my loved ones. And so you just, you just begin to thank God for everything that you possibly can. And like Jonah in the midst of despair, we turn to God with thanksgiving and Worship. Paul says it this way when he talks about being able to be content in everything, how he's learned to do that. He talks about rejoicing in the Lord always. And then he, then he talks about God's presence being at hand and how that, that helps us fight against anxiety and fear. And then he says, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And then listen to the promise he gives. If we come to God in thanksgiving, letting our requests be made known to him, it says, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Paul goes on to to tell the believers to start to train themselves to, to think about that which is good, that which is honorable, that which is true and holy. He says, learning to do this, learning to be content in what God has done, is doing, and has promised to do, and thanking him for it. That's how Paul learned to be content in all circumstances. That's how this man who was beaten and left to die had such joy in the Lord. That's how he can say, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. It's not because... Life got easy. It's because he learned to trust the God who is sovereign over it and present in it. So Jonah, he, he thanks God, and then he, he worships God. He, he says, I will, with the voice of thanksgiving, I will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. And so he begins to turn to God in thanksgiving and worship. And, and what we find is that we can fight the things that upset us, fight the things that drag us down, fight the things that lead us to despair and the depths of death through worship. And so Jonah makes this commitment to following and leaning on God alone for hope and trust and salvation. He says, what I have vowed I will pay. So he's, he's repentantly turning to God and saying, I'll, I'll make restitution for what I've done and, and I'll trust in you. He's committing to lean upon the Lord. And so similarly, we commit to walking with Jesus in repentant faith because unlike Jonah, we don't have to make sacrifices anymore. Because God made the ultimate sacrifice for us. And that's what drives thanksgiving in the midst of despair. That's what drives hope and trust in the God who provides salvation. Is that we don't have to make restitution for our sins anymore. We don't have to make atonement. We don't have to pay the price because Jesus has already paid it all. And so Jonah 
He concludes by saying salvation belongs to God alone. This is the ultimate realization. This is the way out of sin, death, and despair, is realizing that only God can save. And here's what I want you to notice as we, as we conclude. Jonah realizes this before his circumstances change. Do you see that? It's in verse 10. The Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. And it is prior to that happening that Jonah realizes salvation belongs to the Lord. And this is why this gives us great hope. Because wherever you're at right now, whatever sin you're struggling with, whatever suffering you are walking through, God can reveal himself to you in the midst of it and show you that he alone can save and that he sent his son to do it and that he's accomplished it, that you might trust in and hope in him because you can find life and deliverance in Jesus Christ before your circumstances ever change a bit. Jonah looked to the Lord as he sunk to the depths of the ocean. And he cried out to God and he said, salvation belongs to the Lord. And so I'm going to pray for us. And, and wherever you're at right now, would you make that your cry? Would you make that your prayer? Would you say, God, salvation belongs to you. It comes from you alone. And let's hope and trust in him together. Let's pray. Father God, we are grateful this morning for so many things. Even in the midst of a life that is hard and often brutal, even when we struggle with temptation and sin, even when we struggle to run to you instead of running away from you. God, you are faithful, you are present, you are sovereign. You are in control, and you have the salvation we need. And so, God, we come to you in the midst of our despair, in the midst of our struggles with sin and temptation. We come to you in the midst of a broken, hard life. And we say with Jonah, salvation belongs to you, Lord. And we place our trust and our hope in you this morning. In Christ's name, amen.